0: The question is: Are you ready? This is the drive with Josh Graham. Walking here on Sports Hub Triad.
1: We're so glad you're hanging out with us on a Monday drive. There's a lot going up, a lot going on. Excuse me, up the road in the Queen City. Brutal loss by the Hornets right here on Sports Hub Triad yesterday. We'll get to them later. Rory McIlroy wins at Quail Hollow, his first PGA Tour win in 15, make it 18 months, gotta go all the way back to 2019, but before we talk golf, we've been learning more and more about the Panthers' new rookies the last week or so, and even though this might sound a bit harsh, given he's only been on the team for 10 or 11 days, I'm not really a fan of first-round pick J.C. Horn, the first and biggest reason, that really isn't his fault, But like the mole on that spy in Austin Powers, just something I really can't unsee, he's not Justin Fields. I didn't like the pick. I thought Patrick Sertan was a better corner. I have less issue with the evaluation of Horn over Sertan than I did taking a corner over a franchise quarterback in that spot. If Darnold sputters in any type of way in year one and we figure out, much like with Teddy Bridgewater... That Darnold is not going to be the guy for the future. It's going to be a real problem if Carolina doesn't have a plan B. If Matt Rule just throws up a shrug, him and Scott Fitterer and David Tepper, when looking at a plan B, oh yeah, we got P.J. Walker and Will Greer as our backups. There's nothing else we can really do here. When you passed up on the opportunity to have a pretty damn good plan B and Justin Fields on the roster. Maybe a better situation. I don't even think of maybe. For sure a better situation having a rookie on a rookie contract for the next five years rather than the next two years. His nameplate, him being Horn, shouldn't say Horn on the back of the jersey. It should say not Justin Fields because that's the way I'm going to think of him. I don't agree with the pick. So the first part of this, I'll acknowledge, isn't really JC's fault. But speaking of the jerseys, Robert, did you see what number Horn's going to be wearing for the Carolina Panthers?
2: Uh, I saw what number he wanted. Did he get 24? Number 8. Oh, okay, cool. That works, too.
1: So you saw that he wanted to wear Kobe's number.
2: Yeah, I just didn't know uh, which one he was going with.
1: 8 or 24. He wants to go with the number 8, which just puzzles me here. You have the new rule changes, which allow for corners and running backs and wide receivers like a quarterback or a punter or a kicker to wear a single digit number. I, I'd be lying to you if I said I liked it. I don't. It feels very high schoolish. It feels very rah rah college rather than professional. There are and in, in, in college, you can't have those types of restrictions because you got a hundred kids on the roster, right? You got these massive recruiting classes. With walk-ons included, you're talking about 105, 108 kids for the Clemson Tigers. So limiting things with numbers doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In the NFL, you got 53 men on the roster. So I, I like the way it was before. His reason for wanting to wear the number was because he's a big Kobe Bryant fan. Again, very puzzling. I get it. You like basketball. You played basketball at Georgia. But here's your Panthers' new draft pick. He's going to wear number eight. Why? Because he loves a former Lakers basketball star. Okay. Why not pick number twenty-four? This is the most interesting part about it. If you're going to go Kobe number, why not pick the one that's a conventional corner number and also the one that he wore when you can remember watching Kobe Bryant? He would have been six when Kobe changed his number from 8 to 24. Why not go with the 24? He said to an... uh, I forget what uh, outlet he was talking to, but he was talking to a Charlotte TV station when he said his favorite sports memory was watching Kobe drop 60 in his last game. Well, he wore 24, and that number is not taken for the Panthers. So I'm frustrated with that. His dad is Joe Horn. You remember how annoying LeVar Ball was when Lonzo was getting drafted? I I wouldn't go as far to say Joe Horn's been that level of annoying, but he's certainly been annoying, more annoying than Lavar's been since LaMelo got drafted. How many times have we really been talking about LeVar Ball since last November? Not a heck of a lot. First thing I see after JC Horn gets drafted. His dad, former Saints receiver Joe Horn, he's upset. Upset with the media coverage. Felt they were talking too much about Aaron Rodgers and talking too much about the quarterbacks that they didn't pay ample attention to his son being the first defensive player taken off the board. Then Joe Person interviewed Horn for The Athletic. And this is how the story started, Robert. This is Joe Horn telling the story. While J.C.'s teammates were at the gym, stretching, shooting, and getting ready for an hour before their youth basketball games, J.C. would show up a couple of minutes before the tip. It's not that J.C. stayed up too late the night before or forgot to set the alarm. He would arrive late on purpose because Joe Horn was testing his son at a young age. Here's the quote he gave. I would purposefully some mornings get J.C. there at 9.57, 9.58 for a 10 a.m. game. And I would give him a sip of my Red Bull just to see if I could throw him off his game and if he could still be as dominant as he would be if he was there two or three hours early. I was teaching him, no matter what, you're different. It's different with you. (sighs) Tremendous parenting here by Joe Horn. Uh, And this is great. I know you love your son and everything, but this is the stuff that just makes everybody roll their eyes. Joe Horn believes J.C. Horn should have gone up even higher in the draft. He should have been taken higher than number eight. It didn't shock me at all when Horn was asked Carolina if Carolina taking him as the first defensive player stunned him. I expected him to be the first pick in the draft. Ahead of Trevor Lawrence? Yes. That's the way I raised him. I think he'll be more advantageous to the Carolina Panthers than Trevor Lawrence will be for the Jaguars. (laughs) Uh, Most of this has nothing to do with JC. I hope he's a great corner. But I didn't like the pick then. I don't like it now. And I hated the way that Joe Horn talked about it. Because unlike LaVar Ball, who once upon a time was on the Panthers' training camp roster... Joe Horn killed the Panthers for about five years. I I remember my first NFL game when I was an emotionally attached Panther fan. It was Joe Horn catching pass after pass after pass, and John Carney hit a game-winning field goal. I cried at Bank of America Stadium. Joe Horn. (laughs) So I'm not not a fan of J.C. Horn right now. And I wasn't ever really a big fan of Joe Horn either. On Twitter at SportsUpTryant, 336-777-1600. The number, Robert Walsh, is the producer of this show today. What'd you think of the weekend of sports? Man, we'll get to the Hornets in a bit. It seemed pretty clear that Charlotte and the Wells Fargo Championship was the perfect medicine for Rory McIlroy this weekend. He missed the course. He missed the fans. His last PGA Tour win, as I mentioned earlier, was back in 2019, 18 months ago. Remember, there was no Wells Fargo Championship a year ago due to COVID. His wins. This is the first tournament on the PGA Tour that he's won at three times. 2010, 2015, and now 2021. The fans were out in full force, according to Nick Carboni up in Charlotte. 30%. Capacity was allowed at Quail Hollow Golf Course. That gave them an average of 15,000 spectators per day, and it really added to the atmosphere. You could see that on television. This was Rory, shortly after his three-under final round.
3: It's just awesome to play in front of these people again. I, you know, when we went came back from the pandemic, uh, I thought I'd enjoy the peace and quiet a little bit, and I, I soon realized that. To, to bring the best out of myself, I I need this, and uh, I feed off the energy so much, and um, you know maybe here more so than anywhere else, just because it's I think it's the first place I've won three times. Uh, so uh, the crowd has just been awesome all week, and you know they really carried me through today.
1: Can confirm, Rory. I'm looking at some of this stuff here. He'd just been playing horrible golf going into last week. He had not even made the cut in a single tournament for two months heading into Quail Hollow. He got into the weekend on Friday shooting a 5-under to put him at 4-under going into Saturday. That immediately raised, you know, sounded alarm bells in my head, made me think, okay, if this guy loves the golf course the way that he does, has one here, and he's a big name, and he's making the cut, this is a guy who's going to be in contention to try and win this tournament. And he never looked uncomfortable yesterday. The only bogey he had the entire final round was on 18. I knew he'd win this tournament on 15. I'm not going to say there was doubt, but when he dumped it into the bunker on 14, I had some concerns. I was thinking, oh no, this is probably where it's going to fall apart for Rory, just like it did in a final round in Augusta way back, probably close to 10 years ago. But then he had a beautiful approach shot, and he saved a birdie. On 15, same deal. Dumped it into a bunker right off the green. Beautiful approach shot, and he was able to save birdie again. Back-to-back holes, and at that point I thought, oh, he's not phased, and he loves this course, and he's just in flow currently. Good for Rory McIlroy. Golf's better when he's playing well. One of the biggest stars in the sport. Love to see him get the win once again at the Wells Fargo. Up the road, up 85 in Charlotte. We'll talk with uh, Brian Geisiger at the bottom of the hour. Look forward to catching up with him. We'll do Out Precise. The guys talk some NBA. And speaking of the NBA, that was a colossally bad loss for the Charlotte Hornets yesterday. But what's it going to mean for their playoff seating? I think they're fa- is all going to rest with one game, and I'll tell
0: you which next on The Drive.
4: All right, I think all the levels are set.
0: Showtime. Now? Right now. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad.
1: Robert's pensively trying to put together... His all-music starting five. And I see the wheels are turning right now. As we already got J. Cole as our point guard, who's going to be playing pro basketball overseas, we learned. That's probably going to be made official on Thursday, according to the undefeated. He's going to be joining a team called the Rwanda Patriots in the inaugural season of the Basketball Africa League. So... We'll continue to let him cook behind the scenes before he chimes back in for Out Precise the guys, because we're being joined now by our friend Brian Geisiger, accsports.com. And since accsports.com is uh, a place we love reading all things college football and college basketball, I want to start with Shaquille Moore, who we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. He's entered the portal. He is... One of this, one of these promising freshmen that NC State had last year, this Greensboro duo we were looking forward to see play in Raleigh for a long time, Shaq Moore and Cam Hayes, we're not going to see it anymore. It seems like how big of a deal do you believe it is for NC State that Shaq is entering the portal?
3: I think it goes two ways, Josh. Uh, one would be like, were they caught off guard by this? And I don't think they were. Uh, I mean, you even heard stuff during the like during the season. Um, you saw the this,
1: minutes w- going down.
3: Yeah, and, and and it just so it seemed like a realistic possibility. Um, and if and if you and I were sort of as covering the league, we're hearing that sort of stuff. Um, then then certainly the people in the program weren't caught off guard in terms of like what is it, like what kind of player did they lose? It's fairly significant. Um, Shaq Moore had a really good freshman season. Um, you know, he got off to a pretty tough start offensively. Could not hit a jump shot the first probably two, three weeks of the year. But he's a special athlete for that point guard position. Like, he's probably, you know, 5'11", foot They list him at 6'1". But you want to talk about an explosive leaper, super strong, long arms, incredibly fluid hips, quick laterally, um, an elite on-ball defender already, an elite off-ball defender, a guy that can get in passing lanes. And you know because of that athleticism just how special he can be in transition. Um, got a lot better as the season went along as a catch-and-shoot guy. So it, I thought, yeah, this is the kind of guy that could play next to Cam Hayes. You know, Cam Hayes runs the pick-and-roll. The defense bends, and you whip it to Shaq Moore on the weak side, and he attacks the closeout. Um, I was actually pretty bullish on that backcourt of the future for State, just in terms of, like, fit. Maybe not whether it was going to happen or not, but just in terms of fit, I liked it a lot. Um, and Shaq Moore could, could read a defense. I mean, I thought he had some really nice sort of, like, bits of – passing flashes and pick and roll vision late in the season. So, you lost a good, a really promising two-way player that has a chance to, you know, maybe be an NBA guard at some point in his career. So, losing him is is fairly substantial in that regard. Um, but, you know, luckily they've got Cam Hayes who who had a nice freshman season too and is very talented, has different strengths, different weaknesses compared to Shaq Moore. Um, but they at least have him to sort of run the show and if people are interested uh, they can go to accsports.com. Last week, I wrote a, a monster piece, a big piece on uh, Cam Hayes, uh, and sort of like how the you know he's the he's the captain of the ship now, uh, going forward with State, and sort of like what he did well, what he didn't do well as freshman year, and sort of like where he can go from here. But
1: if you're wondering how significant he can be when he's on, look at the Boston College game that he helped close out, and probably there's no better example. Then the North Carolina game where he was so important and NC State's win there in Raleigh early on in the year. Follow BG on Twitter at bguys underscore bird. And as he mentioned, read his stuff, accsports.com. Let's get to the NBA. Gosh, all our, all our fingers are being crossed right now for <laughs> two things. That the Charlotte Hornets somehow hold off the Washington Wizards and get the eighth spot because you don't <laughs> want them to have to win two in a row just to get into the playoffs officially, and also the Golden State Warriors potentially facing the L.A. Lakers in a do-or-die playoff situation, or I guess a do and you make it into the playoffs, and if you lose, you're going to be in a do-or-die game. You kind (laughs) of get the idea here with the play-in tournament. Where do you stand on the play-in tournament now that you're starting to see some of the possibilities?
3: Look, I I understand some of the players frustration with it or some of the teams and we've heard Mark Cuban and LeBron both speak out. Those are two large voices in the league. I get the frustration of you just spent the last, you know, 5 6 months with this hellacious schedule, right? You know, traveling amidst the, the coronavirus, dealing with unprecedented injury rates, being away from your family in certain respects—you you do all of that, and then you get a playoff spot. Like, you know, you're the seventh-best record in the Western Conference, which means like you're a really good team. And in the case of the Lakers, it means your team that could probably win, or maybe is still like the favorite to win the title or close to it, which is insane. Um, and so then it's tough to say, okay, but now you got to win one more game to get in the playoffs, even though you did all this other work. And so I get the frustrations with that. At the same time, man, the fact that we're able to talk about this now at this part of the year, it's added not just another like televised, a couple different televised events for the league, which it will, and they'll make a bunch of money off of. And therefore I'm sure they'll be happy, but they've got guys like like you and me, like we're talking about it right now. Like there's a buzz. It's one of the big storylines in the league right now, especially because LeBron and, and Seth Curry or Steph Curry could be playing in, in it, uh, which is in, insane. And whether it's, good or bad like you know who's to say but that game will be you know a ratings bonanza um and i do think along with how the league flattened the lottery odds a couple years ago um the system is not perfect and yes there are teams that are still tanking like that happens look at oklahoma city look at houston look at detroit cleveland orlando etc um like, it's not quite as, like, I would say, like, rampant. It's not quite as audacious, maybe, as it was a couple of years ago. And I never had problems with people tanking. But I know it it maybe sort of, like, damaged the product to an extent or a lot of people didn't like it or, or whatever. It was not a, a big deal for me. But because they flattened lottery odds, you've got these play-in tournaments and more teams are sort of, like, competing for for, uh, for playoff spots late in the season. I just think you've made the last month of the year more entertaining, at least in the sample size of one, right? And we'll see if it continues going forward and we'll see if it continues to be a sort of like, a you know, a, a bulletin point for the league. But right now I'm, I'm on board with it and uh, just looking to see how it goes and, and sort of keep gathering more information on it.
1: Robert Walsh, I'm going to pass the baton off to you. Let's play out precise the guys.
0: Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham, uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to
2: out-precise the Geis. All right, just about a week left in NBA regular season action, so I want to look at some statistical leaders going into the playoffs. Oh, boy. Uh, And how could you start talking about statistics without talking about Steph Curry and the tear he's been on as of late? He leads the NBA in points per game and overall points. How many more points has he scored than the man in second place, Bradley Beal? Oh, oh so we're
1: not talking points per game. We're just talking overall points. We
2: are talking overall points. How many more points this season has Steph Curry scored than Bradley Beal? Gosh,
1: then you got to talk about how many games has one played over the other. Bradley Beal now <laughs> dealing with a hamstring. Oh, boy. I don't like this question, <laughs> but I got a number written down.
3: Yeah. All right. Here we go. It's really close. There's a good piece on ESPN.com that Kevin Pelton wrote about the scoring title race between these two guys. Um, I will say 50 points difference between those two. I've got 77
1: written down.
2: 77? Steph Curry has scored 59. More points than Bradley (laughs) Beal. Not, I mean, cool. that was close between you guys. That oh, was Very close. close. That was very close. close. Uh, very moving close. To the, on to the second one. On the defensive side of the ball, Rudy Gobert has definitely been himself this year, leading the league in blocks and defensive win share. What is Rudy Gobert's defensive win share? And the thing with this is, I only brought this up as a question, BG, because not to put more on your plate, when yeah. you get to the it's advanced stats, like how exactly impressive is it? that he leads the league in defensive windshare. What is defensive windshare? How do you
3: explain it, that? It's pretty impressive. So uh, it's just one of these sort of like, you know, catch-all metrics. And it's an older one. So we have sort of even newer, better metrics to measure uh, impact on both offense and defensive side of the court. Uh, defensive win shares, though, is sort of an older metric that was created by a uh, former UNC graduate student, Dean Oliver, who was actually a part of Dean Smith's staff as a statistician when he was in grad school. Oh. But he created this metric. Um, it's essentially based off of a player's defensive rating, um, and it just goes to show you like how much towards each individual win is a player contributing, and with, the, with defensive win shares, it's specific – to the defensive side of the court. I can't go into the entire formula because it's, yeah. it's a bunch of like weird calculations. We get it,
1: you're a nerd. What's the number so you've
3: got? It's impressive. I will say five. I've got
2: six flat written down. Six flat. Rudy's defensive win share is 4.9. Oh,
1: man. All right. this, I'm back,
2: baby. He's back I'm now. Back. All right, last one for good measure. Coming in here, Chris Paul leads the NBA in free throw percentage with ninety three point one. How
3: many free throws
2: has CP three missed all year?
3: Ridiculous! How good this guy is, man. Uh, It can't be many. Chris doesn't get to the line all that much this year either. uh, At this point of his career, I will say, I'll say uh, twenty missed free throws.
2: I wrote down nine. Nine. He has taken 174. He has made 162. He has missed 12 free throws yeah! all year. So Josh sneaks in there Woo! with a point.
3: Yep. But I get the win. You I needed win. it. Because I, I was one out of my last three. So I, I needed this win here today to get my, my confidence back up.
1: I'm glad you got your confidence back up. It's good I did. to hear your voice, man. Hope you're doing all right. Yep. Hanging in. Hanging in. There you go. That's Brian Geisker. He's on Twitter at bgeis underscore bird. Read his stuff. ACCSports.com A lot of people are telling me about Bob Baffert today. But maybe Will Farrell's character in Eastbound and Down is not the best comp, believe it or not. But instead, Lance Armstrong and Marion Jones. That and Reidsville head coach Jimmy Teague are next on The Drive.
0: Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves the way his new jeans highlight his man curves. Ooh, hot. Oh, hot. yeah, that's hot. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham.
1: We'll get back to the Panthers in just a bit. Every Monday, we do Graham's grades around here except for last week when I was out on Monday and Tuesday. We did it on a Wednesday. This time we're back on schedule. There's a lot to get to from the weekend, so let's knock it out. It's Graham's Grades.
0: Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. We do need. Pass the test. If one of y'all says some silly ass name who dropped a ball, I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know it all.
4: Hey! Teacher, leave them
0: kids alone. Time for Graham's grades. We start
1: with the really good. You know. Those this weekend who overachieved. Maybe sometimes they're a try-hard. Robert, did you ever deal with anybody like that at North Davidson who was a bit of a try-hard, overachiever? They'd probably throw a hissy fit if they ever got a B.
2: You want me to name them?
1: I don't know if I'd do that. but Sure, know.
2: yeah. There's a couple of those people at every school.
1: <laughs> you know what? If you want to name them, Robert, knock yourself Carly out. Carly Wooten. All right, there you go. Let's get through A through F here. Let's start with the good. A. Rory McIlroy at the Wells Fargo. Nothing fazed him yesterday. Shot three under par. Probably should have been a four under if he wasn't so comfortable on 18. That's the only bogey he had in his final round. First win he's had in any PGA Tour event in 18 months. Is it a coincidence that he's gone a year and a half without winning and there wasn't a Wells Fargo championship last year. Hmm. Remember, Rory's already won this event twice. Yesterday was his third win at Quail Hollow Golf Club and it was a lot of fun to watch. Felt really good for Rory McIlroy and that there was a pretty decent gallery there to see him. B. Early 90s Denzel Washington. Robert Pull up Denzel's IMDB, if you don't mind, and try to figure out the best five-year chunk you can find where you have very early, young Denzel. You're talking about a movie like Glory, where he first appeared on the radar screen in the late 1980s. Uh, Mo Betta Blues is an underrated movie. So early Denzel... Then you got the next five-year period where he started to become critically acclaimed Denzel, even though I do think he won for supporting actor in Glory. So maybe that would be disrespectful to his late 80s career to say he wasn't critically acclaimed. Then he became massive movie star, 95 to 2000. 2000 to 2005 is when he started doing all these action flicks, and he continued that for another five-year stretch. And then the last 10 years, he's done movies that are more passion projects for him such as the movie Fences which was a tremendous performance and Roman J. Isqu- uh, Ismail I think qualifies for that as well. Roman J. Israel, excuse me is the name of that movie. I think early 90s Denzel is a B for me. I think it's my favorite five year period when you consider he did do If we're going to count 1990, Mo Better Blues, we're going to count, because it was in that period, Malcolm X, which I think is his best career performance, Philadelphia, Crimson Tide, Devil in a Blue Dress, but also the movie Pelican Brief, which I watched this weekend and had me thinking about the subject. So over the weekend, I watched a lot of Denzel Washington, and I hadn't seen that performance with him and Julia Roberts together. I think that's the best five-year period for Denzel. What do you say?
2: I'd probably go with '98 to 2003 because then you're getting uh, the Hurricane, the Bone Collector. Remember the Titans. Oh wow, you like the Hurricane? Uh, yeah, yeah, I like the Hurricane. See, a lot of people
1: don't like the Hurricane. I'm, I'm, I'm about it too, just because I know the story and you know all about it with Bob Dylan, uh, Bob Dylan's song and Reuben Carter. But yeah, that's a movie that a lot of people dump on.
2: Uh, And then wrapping it up with John Q and uh, Man on Fire. I mean, I feel like that's just a a nice little stretch there.
1: That action stretch. It's a lot of good movies there. There are no wrong answers in it. I think I'm going to prefer young, early 90s Denzel more than anything else. C. The current position of the Charlotte Hornets. It's not good. It's not really bad. But it could be one or the other very quickly. Robert, I didn't even ask your opinion on this, but do you think Charlotte is in an okay spot to get the eight seed since they have the tiebreaker with Washington regardless of what happened Sunday?
2: Uh, I wouldn't. It's kind of in a neutral position. They're in an okay spot. It's not a great spot. A it's not, not a terrible spot. Yeah, pretty much.
1: That's where... Charlotte is. We'll spend more time talking about this subject in about 15 minutes. D. Politicizing horse racing. What are we doing here? Bob Baffert saying that cancel culture is the reason why his horse (laughs) is being punished. I don't even know what that means. I think the former president called the horse a junkie and a statement that was kind of surprising why are people so upset about this I don't understand I get the horse gonna be disqualified but here's the thing the next horse is going to be given the Kentucky Derby title it's gonna be given the crown the right things going to happen here why are so many people up in arms, or is that something that's fake on the internet that makes it seem like the internet makes it seem like it's bigger than it actually is? And really, what people are talking about is that Bob Baffert looks like Will Ferrell's character and he's bounded down.
2: Yeah, I think it's that. Uh, you can tell it's kind of a super slow sports day when that and Tim Tebow signing as a tight end are like your biggest stories. I
1: think any opportunity to talk about Tebow is going to blow things up. Not on this radio show, because... We kind of understand it for what it is, but horse racing, come on. It is only an excuse to wear floppy hats and bow ties and seersucker. That's thats what it is. It's an opportunity to drink and for Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady to show off how rich they are. That's what Derby Day has been. I doubt anybody is seriously up in arms about this roided up horse, Medina Spirit, that it seems like is going to be allowed to compete this weekend at the Preakness Stakes. Bob Baffert says he's not going to be there. He doesn't want to be a distraction, but it does seem like Medina Spirit's going to compete this weekend in Baltimore. F. Tonight's Carolina Hurricanes game. Really no reason to watch. Just because. I guess they could still win, but I think a lot of starters are going to be out. Mostly because they're playing the Predators. They've already clinched the division. There's a chance they could get their first ever President's Trophy, but I think they're going to sit out many of the key players. I'd be surprised if it wasn't five, six, seven regular starters sitting out, especially considering you're playing the team you're getting set to have a best of seven series with later on in the week. So I don't think tonight's hockey game is going to be the most fun thing. I'm probably gonna be keeping a closer eye on the Baltimore Orioles tonight as they close out a four-game series with the Boston Red Sox. And that's been Graham's Graves. 336, 777, 1600 if you wanna play along. Mark and Jamestown, why are people so mad about this
2: horse?
4: Well, they're not mad about your show. We love the show, man. But we're mad about the horse for two reasons. One, people invest time in it. You know, we get ready to watch it. They have all the prelim stuff like, when is the darn race going to start? Then you watch it, and then it's not right because of the drugs. But the bigger issue is people don't like to see millions of dollars going the wrong way. And people that had already put money in and cashed their ticket on their horse finishing second can't go back and get first place money for that horse. And that's why why I said,
1: and that's so true, but that's why I said, aside from the betters, aside from the betters, I don't know how many people are really up in arms about a a horse that had some type of medicine or drug in it. I, I don't know who's really upset about it, and it might just be a media creation here.
4: Well, I think, like I say with Greg Lamont, I hate that I invested hours of times. I remember going to the beach and staying inside through like 11 o'clock to watch the end of some stages of the Tour de France to see, I'm not Lamont, I'm sorry, Armstrong, yeah, yeah. Lance Armstrong did, and it's like, man, that wasted my life. I don't care that other people were cheating. He was cheating, and I feel like I can't get those hours of my life back that I spent watching a race that wasn't on the up and up.
1: It is a good and, point. I, I appreciate that. Oh, sorry to cut you off there, Mark. Appreciate the phone call from Jamestown. But especially when you consider, Robert, I was at the beach when the derby was happening. Do you know when they start their pregame shows on NBC for that? Like, the race started at 7 o'clock. When do you think the pregame show for this two-minute race began?
2: Oh, I have no idea. What, like 5.30, 5 o'clock?
1: On NBC, coverage began at 2.30, in the afternoon, four and a half hours before the race. And before that, they had, think, a thick two a two-and-a-half-hour show on NBCSN. Why? Because it's an opportunity for all the announcers to wear floppy hats and see Sucker and have all the bow ties and everything.
2: I'm sure there's a lot of advertising money in it for uh, NBC too. Yes,
1: that's true as well. No doubt about it. Appreciate the call from Martin.